church. It's good to um, uh, see you again. Well, I guess I should say it's good to be with you again, it's, at least digitally. I know that we're not able to um, uh, connect face to face, but I wanted to take a few minutes to continue in the study that we've been um, been sort of working on on Wednesday nights, um, trying to encourage you guys to go deeper into God's Word. And I know lots of people say, well, I want to go deeper, I want to go deeper, but um, oftentimes they just don't know how. And so um, last week I posted a couple, three videos, actually three videos on how the basics of how to do an inductive Bible study. So in that light, I'm going to try to keep this video short again, because the, the goal here is not for you to listen to me tell you about Scripture. The goal is for me to give you some guidance and then encourage you to go deeper on your own. And so I would encourage you guys to do that. So the first thing I, su I suggested to do um, in the whole beginning process of this was to get yourself a good study Bible. And let's go ahead and just dive right in. So the first uh, 12 verses in 1 Peter um, really celebrate and, and talk a lot about what God has done for the believers in Jesus Christ, featuring um, uh, the saving work of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We see that in verses 1 and 2. We talked about that last the last video. Um, the next few verses uh, really focus on the inheritance of what the believer gets. It's uh, it, it, it talks about the love and the joy of God. It highlights um, uh, the, the, the fact that we have the opportunity to live in the days when God's promises are being fulfilled. And that's a pretty powerful thing. Um, Peter called on the New Testament believers, you, me, everybody that's going to be reading his work, uh, to live a life based upon what God has done for them, and that life should be uh, moving down a path of sanctification with holiness, ultimate holiness, God's holiness as like that end goal, that that final stage. So that being said, uh, we want to jump right into uh, chapter or the next section, which would be verses thirteen through chapter two, verse three. Now, I'm not going to focus on all those verses today. I'm just going to focus on the first few. Um, in fact, I'm only going to focus on the first, uh, uh, well, 13 through 17, and then I'm going to let you guys run with it from there. So um, verse 13 um, starts off this way. Therefore, in the New American Standard, therefore, uh, prepare your minds for action. Be Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be uh, brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were in your, uh, which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves, also in your behavior, because it is written, "You shall be holy, for I am holy." And then verse seventeen: If you address, if you address as Father the one who impartially judges according. To each one's work, conduct yourself in fear during the time of your stay on earth. I'm going to stop right there because what you're seeing here is Peter is jumping right into what we call imperatives. 
An imperative in Scripture is a command. It's something that God is saying, this is what you need to focus on. Boom. Um, I'm reminded a whole lot of uh, a lot of the military men and women that I've known and the way that they are so direct in their communication. You know, sometimes I'll point at the camera with all four of my fingers, you know, and um, that's a that's a technique that I learned uh, from my military uh, friends. Um, I never served, but my family did. All my children serve. And so um, I've I've been inculcated, if you will, into uh, the culture of the military from birth. My dad was was uh, a chief. Well, he retired as a chief, but he wasn't a chief through his whole time in the Navy and, and moving on. And so one of the things that I noticed was um, when they're when they're delivering commands in a forceful way, oftentimes they'll throw the whole hand out instead of doing a finger saying, you need to do this. They will throw the whole hand out there because just like that camera, you know, that, that the fingers come right at it. It's kind of intimidating. Well, a whole hand is intimidating too. So when you look at an imperative, I want you to think as though this is, if you were in the military, that this is the, a drill sergeant coming at you, throwing the hand, or um, if you've never been in the military, you never had any connection with it, just imagine God or Jesus or even Peter coming up to you and saying, hey, and throwing the whole hand, being as intimidating as he possibly can at you, because this is important. Do this. That's what he's saying, right? And so... Um, we have three imperatives that are in this and in those first few verses that we just read. And I'm also going to put up a list of words that we talked about having identifying key words in the passage. I encourage you to look at those words and see what they mean. We're going to talk about them in a, in a minute or two. But I want you to understand there are three imperatives. The imperatives are found in verses 13, verse 15, and verse 17. Now, that's it's important and critical to know that because when you read through this, verse 13 looks like all three imperatives are right there. Um, if you look at verse 13, you see, um, therefore prepare your minds for action. Okay, gotcha. Um, keep sober in spirit. Gotcha. That's another command. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you in the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay, good. Cool. I got it. All three of my imperatives are right there. No, no, that's not the case. Um, in fact, it's just the opposite. Um, there's only one imperative in there. The rest of those things sort of modify the singular imperative that's there. And it's important to understand this. I know a lot of times people give me um, grief about pulling into the Greek and going a little deeper. But here's the thing. If you really want to go deeper, you need to become at least conversant in some of the tools that you should be using in your Bible study, like a good concordance. Uh, Strong's concordance is decent. Get yourself a good Bible dictionary um, that explains biblical terms. Uh, Vines has a complete Bible dictionary out there. I think those are really good. You can use whatever resource you want, internet or want, uh, otherwise, but you need to have a good definition because otherwise you can fall into a trap following an imperative that's not really imperative okay and so you see that the one imperative in verse 13 is fix okay and it's to fix your hope completely on what Christ has done for you look what it says in there it says fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ this is so important we are called, uh, the imperative is for us to have an unshakable hope in Jesus Christ, okay? And we're to fix that hope. And how do we fix that hope? We do it by keeping our minds pure and keeping our our spirits sober. We'll get to that word sober in a minute when we start uh, diving into it. 
It's so important for us to have that first imperative. The second imperative is found in verse 15 um, when it says, but like the Holy One who was who called you, be holy. Um, it's important for us to be holy. Um, and and a lot of times we look at that and you say, well, what about verse 14? It says, be conformed. Uh, to do not be conformed to the to the former lust by which was yours. And if you have most, almost every translation has the word "do not be conformed." And so, oftentimes, we will think, "Well, that's a command too. Don't be conformed." But that's not the command. The command is to be holy. And so, not all bees are the same. In fact, if you were to read this in Greek in verses fourteen and fifteen, there is no B between "do not" and "conformed." It just simply says, "Do not." Conform. Do not conform in the Greek. Um, but we throw in English, we throw the word be in there because it's a connective word that allows the English sentence to flow more um, more completely. And so, but if you're reading this in English and you've never dived deeper into the original languages, then you will just say, oh, well, that's be, uh, do not be conformed. Okay, gotcha. Check. That's a command. But no, that is modifying what's being said. See this um, in how this this uh, this word is being used. The word there in B is in Greek is gynomai, and it's an imperative verb that comes with like the force of a hammer blow. And it's so much different than the do not be conformed part in the other one. It's basically saying that through obedience of God's word and this necessary conversion that that comes through faith. Um, we need to understand that the God who is calling us to himself, he is he is throwing out this, this awesome, amazing call. And the call involves drawing you closer to him. And we see that fleshed out a little more in verse 22 of the first chapter, where he talks about um, bringing us out of darkness. In verse, um, in verse chapter 2, verse 9, he talks about God's calling us into the wonderful light. Um, and so it's important that we recognize what is really happening. This verse ought to read, you know, set your hope fully on grace, preparing your minds for action by being sober. Um, and then moving that from the sober part into the next imperative that basically says, um, when you are obedient, when you're conform, when you're not conforming yourself to your past, and you're focusing on what God is calling you to do, that's where this sanctification and holiness can come up to. We should be holy because He's holy. Now that being said, God, Peter is very practical. He knows that we're not able to maintain that level of holiness on our own, and so he wants us to be. He wants that dynamic tension, you know, the the tension of okay, you can't do it on your own, but through faith and through your fixed hope on him with a sober spirit, you can, you can go where God wants you to. Um, and the final imperative is found in verse 17, um, that says that we are called to fear. Now there's something for you, huh? So the third imperative is that we are, but we are called in verse 17 to live in fear. Hmm. Now, I'm not going to dwell too much on that. I want you to flesh that out in your own discussion and mind, what it means to live in fear and follow verse 17. Um, it says, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. What does that mean? I'm not going to give you that answer. That's something you're going to have to discuss. The final thing I want to discuss today is the um, the word 
that uh, I think is important that we look at, which is nepho. It's the word that um, that Peter uses for fear. I mean, not for sober. I apologize for sober. Um, and a lot of times we will read that. Oh, be sober. Great. No problem. I don't drink. I'm a Baptist. Baptists are teetotalers. We don't drink, you know? And so got that one covered. Check. Um, but no, that's not exactly what Peter is talking about here. Peter is using the word sober in the in the same way that he that is used in other passages in the New Testament, such as First Thessalonians chapter five verse six, meaning complete self control. Um, and so we and I'll put some of these passages. I'll put some of this stuff up in the notes when we get there. But sober in this in this context is the word nepho. It means to be in control of your thought process and thus not be in danger of irrational thinking. To be sober-minded is to be well-composed in your mind. It is also possible to understand this in light of what I said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 6. Um, it just literally means extreme self-control. And as I've mentioned many times, we just cannot rely on our presuppositions from our own cultural background and biases. We need to allow scripture to speak for itself. When we do that, we will see that God's true commands will come forward. Um, I think it's important for all of us as Christians to constantly have a, a level of, of, of doubt of our doubts and a doubt of our own understanding. The Bible says to lean not on your own understanding, but on God. And it's through the Holy Spirit dwelling within us that we should be able to understand these things. And so when you're doing an inductive Bible study, the first thing you're doing is just gathering the facts. The next thing you're doing is you're diving in deeper and you're trying to see what does the scripture really say in its original context? What is it saying now? How are we trying to reply this? And by diving into the deeper uh, meanings, you know, you're looking for your key words. I'm going to give you a list of those. You're looking for some of the other really important factors um, that will, will help you to drill down on a deeper understanding of what this scripture means. Um, I don't expect any of you guys that are just starting to learn how to do an inductive study to be able to take this to the third phase, which is that practical place yet. Um, right now, what we're doing is we're gathering the facts and we are uh, learning the, 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 the deeper understanding of it. And once we have a, a, a deeper understanding, then we can start to do the practical application in our life. You're going to find the, the stage three in an inductive study will happen not when you're in front of your Bible at your desk. Um, it will happen when you are in the grocery store. It'll happen when you are involved in a parent-teacher conference. It will happen when you are in practically doing life, and all of a sudden God's um, uh, insight, the Holy Spirit will just give you this amazing insight, and you will find that you are practically applying the scriptures to your to your life. And you're doing what James said, to be a doer of the word, not a hearer only. So I think it's important, and I, um, I use that phrase a lot, it is important for us to be consistent in how we study Bible, the Bible, and God's Word, and then using it in our daily life. If if it if we don't use it in our daily life, then it just sits on the shelf. If we don't ever dive deeper into the languages and the culture and the history of the of, of the of the writing, then we're only going to have a surface understanding. Most Christians really just hang out on either the right side or the left side of milk. If you look at the spectrum of growth being, you know, new birth in Christ, growing maturity, weaning off the milk, and getting into meat, right? And so if you put milk right in the center of that that arc 
mark that spectrum. Most of us are either on this side of milk or this side of milk, right? Being this is meat and this is not. Um, and so we oftentimes hover right around here. We don't we don't really go all that far over here because this is a weighty area. This when you get over here, you're now in you're now in an area. You're in that high country. You're now in that area where you know things and you know what's right and you have an expectation when you're over here that's when you need to start putting feet to your faith um, when you're up in this area it's easy it's safe you don't know enough and you know you don't know enough to move any further so it's just easier to hang out right there because once you start moving over in this area all of a sudden god says now you know let's get to work so that being said now you know let's get to work